another interesting episode on our COVID conversations. Sorry, critical COVID conversations. This week, I'm with Shay Davis, and we get into some stuff here. We really talk about these issues of race, racism, and we really talk about what we think might happen, especially with uh, conceptions and constructions of disability after this current period. And I think the conclusion we come to is really interesting and unique. So I hope you enjoy. All right, so welcome back to Unstandardized English. I am your host, JPB Gerald, as ever. Today I have with me Shay Davis, and uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, marginalization, equity and inequity, and a little bit about race and disability, and then whatever we think about this current and ongoing situation. So before we get into all of that, though, I want to welcome Ms. Davis here. Please tell us and the people listening, I said us like I'm several people, a little bit about yourself and the work that you've done, but also welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I am a 20-year veteran of college teaching. Most um, importantly, I've been teaching English at the college level for low these many years right now. What I do mostly is um, social justice under the guise of English. So we study a lot of um, power, power in language, and how that works uh, and has worked, especially in the American Project. Um, I'm also president of the board for the Association for Experiential Education. And um, that is an organization, it's a membership organization, international organization where we celebrate and support educators who are both classroom educators and outdoor educators in um, using movement, using experiential education or experiential learning to um, increase equity and justice in the world, to increase peace around the world, and to help people really learn what they're trying to learn. So I'm also a farmer. I'm in the farmhouse right now during the COVID shutdown. And so I was excited today because I got to spend some time outside with my chickens. And uh, I have two kids. I like them. And that's about I hope, it. I hope so. Well, it's, it's not a given, but I do yeah. like them. So, yeah. Um, so one of the things you said in there, this is people always give me the bio instead of asking the questions I said I'm going to ask, I always ask about stuff because I find people interesting. Um, you said you teach social justice under the guise of English. So yes. when English, mostly you mean like as literature, right? Um, Actually, no, I am not a lit scholar. Um, uh, it's mostly, um, structure and composition, right? So I teach first and second year comp, I teach um, research, I teach research methods, I teach um, developmental writing and reading, I teach um, uh, college studies, uh, how to be a student, that kind of thing. Hmm. Not, not a big lit person. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just, that's, that's good to know. Um, mm -hmm. So what are some, I mean, I've seen, I, 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 because I went and looked it up, see some of the things that you are sharing with your students and things like that on, you know, on the website and all that. But if you're telling people, like, what are some of the, the, you know, assignments? What are some of the things that you do to help people, you know, understand different aspects of social justice and inequity through these different, you know, composition and things like that? What are some of the things sure. you get people to chew on? Sure. So my research classes um, are fully research-based. So what they're doing is a lot of social science research and very light because these are usually college freshmen, college sophomores, and so it's not as though they're trying to create dissertations. But um, they have in the past, I switched it up this semester, but in the past semesters they have used um, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns as their um, exemplar for a very thorough research project. She used that book to uh, do 10 years worth of work on the Great Migration, which is the movement of African Americans from the South to the North um, during the, the great time of lynching and during the, 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 the biggest part of Jim Crow. People give soft dates, 1915 to 1970, but it depends on who you're talking to. She um, is such an extraordinary researcher because she actually spoke to hundreds and hundreds of different people in different groups and was able to combine that information into a very readable, though lengthy book, but a very readable um, uh, 
three-person sort of description of why people would leave the South, the terror that they were running from, the, the experiences that they had uh, coming to Northern cities, Western cities, the different classes of African-Americans at that time and how they uh, were able to move differently. And so my students spend a lot of time reading that and then they are encouraged to make their own research projects that deal specifically with race in their world. And so what they are not allowed to do is study other people as though they were animals in a zoo. They have to ask questions about their lives and their experience with race. And many of my students are white Americans from um, the country. And so they have never, ever had to ask these questions before. So that's a really, it's a really interesting and challenging um, experience. Um, some of the other things that I do with like my developmental classes is I make sure that my students are able to um, uh, use their time working with improving their skills, improving their reading and writing, improving their ability to enter the particular communities that they're trying to enter. They're trying to enter academic communities or, or you know, something different. So we're very careful to not stomp on home language because that's not the point where we're trying to I am definitely trying to create people who are good at code switching both in writing both in, in speaking and reading so um, we have read Enrique's journey in that class and we're learning a lot about southern border um, immigration and um, really trying to challenge that narrative around um, um, people being illegal really trying to challenge that narrative around people being um, doing something that is um, unnatural or doing something that's unsafe for the United States. We have done um, a nice little, it's a, well, it's a, it's a well-written children's book. It's not a middle grades book called Sold. And there's a wonderful film that goes along with it about um, child sexual slavery in um, Eastern India and um, really having people come to terms with or, or understand about um, sex trafficking and trafficking in the United States as well as around the world. It's important for me that we always anchor things in our classes, in my classes, in what happens in the U.S. because it becomes very easy, I have found, for Americans to say, yeah, oh, those people over there, they are really something else but if we can attach that back to yeah and so we're from Michigan um and so uh Detroit the Detroit Windsor border is one of the number one places for um human trafficking in the country and people need to know that um so we do that one um Enrique's journey and sold and we have done a long walk to water which talks about the Darfur incidents and um uh, children being, you know, run out of school because of the fighting and having to deal with uh, not having water and being lost. And um, what else have we done in that class? We, we do a ton of stuff. It, 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 that's, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for to help people um, to, to learn to empathize, uh, to know that um, they're not alone in struggle and to be able to understand that, yeah, okay, so we're right near Flint. We have family in Flint um, and they are having water issues and people around the world are having water issues and it's not just us and we're not just alone. And um, doing that in the context of a class where I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what's important to you and I want to be the person who helps you learn how to communicate that to as many people as possible and that's the elegance of the English part but the the topics we call we, we do it it's about the engagement you have to have something to care about you have to have something to write about and then we'll make it beautiful so your voice can be heard so that's what that's what I do you said a lot of things and I want to I, I, I could be here forever really going through all of the things that you said um, but I'm going to pick at a couple of the threads. Um, how does that go over for some, you mentioned that some of the population is that's something they've never had a chance to do before, right? Yeah. So then I have two questions related. I, I'm asking how does it go over, but I'm also asking like, do they come into the class knowing that that's what's going to happen? And um, obviously if they knew that and they're choosing to go with towards it in a certain direction well then that's a different sort of reaction but um yeah so it's like do they know and then also how does it go over for the people who are new to it who maybe there's resistance what what happens when you know so on and so forth well one of the uh 
excellent things about my experience is that I am not as tough as those champion people who can teach K-12. Um, that takes a special person, and I, I have never been that cool. But as a result, my classes can be uh, dropped. So students are free to make that choice. So on the first couple of days, I mean, I'm very, very clear with students. Uh, my freshman comp class is about race in the United States. And we start in the 1600s and we come all the way up to uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Between the World and Me in 2015. And I tell them that explicitly on the first couple of days. And I tell them very clearly, if you don't want to talk about race in the United States, you don't have to, because there is another professor who's teaching this class and talking about something else dogs, I don't know, talking about a particular kind. There's a, a great professor at our school who does, um, um, is it role-playing games? Um, and, you know, so we have a lot of academic freedom and able and ability to teach what we would like to teach. So I never want a student to feel like they're trapped because that doesn't work out for anybody. We spend the semester fighting each other and that's, no one's learning in that situation. And I've had students who hear the spiel and still stay, um, and then are just shocked at how how much I was not lying to them. That's <laughs> yeah, so I was going to ask because you can say that, but something if you if you haven't as a student if you haven't been through it, you could say, "Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I know race. You know, I know. I, I, you know, I saw I saw Dangerous Minds. So you know, or <laughs> right. maybe not now. These kids are younger than that, but you right. know, whatever was it? But Green Book, whatever. Um, sure. And you know, and that's like. Can handle that yeah yeah i know about slavery i know civil war so you know sure. and, then, and then they and then they get into it they really get into it and it's like huh you know it, it's uh it, you can there are lots of very quiet days yes um and you know there there are lynching weeks my my partner knows that uh i will have two lynching weeks you know every year and so everybody has to bring me coffee and let me breathe because I have to do the lynching pictures and I have to do the lynching lecture and I have to do that. Um, but it, I mean, you know, that's my choice because they need to know. And one of the things um, that I tell students when it gets tough is that uh, none of this is made up. And I, I don't expect that you will believe everything that I say and you are more than welcome to dig deeper and find data that, um, that suits what you're understanding if it's true. Um, and that rarely happens. But um, how do people react? I mean, they, they, they ask questions, they sit stunned, they think about, one of the books that we read is um, Timothy Tyson's Between, uh, Blood Didn't Sign My Name. And that's about a lynching that happens in Oxford, North Carolina in 1970. And I remind them, that's 1970, that six years before I was born, that your parents might have been born, that, you know, um, and they struggle with, but this is supposed to have been over by then. But this is supposed to have been, I said, I know my dove, and it's not. And the question we always ask is, why didn't you know this before you got here? And so the idea is for them to think critically about their educational experience. Now, the champions in K-12 are doing the very best they can with what they're given, and no one is being taught how to teach these things. And so you have a majority population in our dominant culture who are white Americans, who are put in positions where they have to face a, a history that they are part and parcel of that is not a pretty history. And they have not been taught because the history books do their very best to leave it out. And so how are they uh, in a position to communicate that to students? So it isn't, it isn't only about like empowerment. It is about empowerment and in, in realizing that there's more to the story. I, I hope that my students can be more empathetic um, when they understand that, oh, so if this, if during the Black Power movement, people were arrested and harassed for simply being friends with a person who might have been in the Black Panthers or for simply wearing hair this way or for simply doing that and how that economically might have affected their family and how that educationally might have affected their family and how that might show up in 2018, 2020. And those are the questions we ask in class when we have discussion. Um, that's, that's the critical thinking that I'm trying to get them to understand, that the stories that they have been told outside of this classroom are not necessarily the entirety of the story or possibly not even an accurate um, expression of what's happening in the world around them. I think that... Um 
So I went to a lot of really exclusive schools, right? Um, cool. very, you know, predominantly white institutions. And I was, you know, the black kid, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very kind schools outwardly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get, you know, like slurs or anything like that happened to me. Um, and I mean, it happened to me in life, but not at school. Um, sure. And so... I, it, it took me until years later, like recently, not that recently, but like, like a, you know, not too long ago to reframe a lot of my education and, and still realize how much had been left out of it mm-hmm. um, because the people were outwardly nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think that that's it's one of the things I talk about a lot, both online and in my writing. It's not that I have that much writing yet, but um, is, is there, there's, it's, it's not, it's not always open hostility that, yes. you know, that causes a lot of the problems. There's plenty of open hostility and we're seeing plenty of it, you know, all over the world and all that. But like, I, I'm not going to say that I don't care about open hostility because when we talk about lynching and things like that, like this stuff really is important, but it's like, they didn't just go straight. To, like there's, there's a whole bunch of space in the middle that needs to be understood. Yes. Um, and I think that all of the, you know, the green book type stuff like that, yes. that stuff in the middle is, is just giving people cover so that the people who are farther and more extreme and more violent and whatever can go do what they're doing. And, you know, it leaves people who are fighting against it to have to cower from the people who are really trying to cause terror when it's all these people in the middle who could help and are just not doing so because they think that they're helping. Right. Right. The Dr. King's white moderate. Yes. Um, uh, this semester in the research class, students are using um, the disability history of the United States, um, a Native American history of the United States, and um, medical apartheid, which talks about um, medical testing on African Americans from slavery to now. Um, and so when we think about that, that moderate, when we think about the, the in-betweens, that class is really having an opportunity to um, to examine and question, it's not about lynching. It's about particular laws that treat uh, disabled people as, you know, not human or, or less than adult or less than able to care for themselves, don't allow them to work, et cetera, um, that treats Native Americans in, in a way where they are not allowed to practice religion, they are not allowed to dress certain ways, they're not allowed to keep hold of their children. Um, and so students are having to really grapple with these things happening at the same time as their their existence or an existence that they understand. So one of the tools that we use to do that are timelines. And so we do parallel timelines. And so you can have a timeline that has the big things that we all learned about in school. We learned about this particular war. We learned about Korea. We learned about Vietnam. We learned about, so you've got these little, you know, these sort of fixed points. And then you can throw on top of that the Native American history timeline. And so these are the things that are happening for Native Americans at the exact same time. So you may have learned about, okay, World War II in your history classes or in your social classes or whatever you were studying, but at the very same time that this is happening, these people are experiencing something different. At the very same time that this war is happening, African Americans are are in the middle of the Tuskegee experiment, right? I mean, things are happening that people never get to hear about that are sort of hidden from view. And so using that sort of parallel timeline construction helps students to draw those connections between what they've been taught, which is not necessarily incorrect often but not complete sometimes it's incorrect but most of the time it's just really not complete and it's and there are so many reasons why right there are so many reasons why and it's you know thinking about your schooling thinking about my schooling I'm sure the people who were teaching me um, for the most part were decent human beings but there is a psychological cost to facing uh the past of this particular country that nobody um, with the power to do it wholesale has done it wholesale. There hasn't been um, a large reckoning of what has happened to different people in this country and we're all supposed to get over it, remember? It was in the past. <laughs> One of the things that I, that I find, like, it's, it's getting a little bit more difficult as more years pass, but it's like, like Martin Luther King would only be like 91. 
Like exactly. he, he wouldn't be like 200 years old or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and another thing is that he's exactly the same age as, as Anne Frank, right? They were both exactly. born the same year, you know, but we think of them as these separate things, but right. they, you know, they were exactly the same age, you know? Exactly. Um, hold on. I wanted to get something because you mentioned a book. Uh, sure. I'm not going very far. Okay. Uh, of course, it's going to be hard to find. Oh, no, there it is. Get out of the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, if you don't books. have to fight your bookshelf, you're not doing it right. All right, so. It's the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We're reading it in, one. well, we, we read it already, but um, in, I'm taking a class on disability now in my uh -huh. doctoral program, and uh -huh. um, this was the first book we read, because she was just like, we need to get a sort of a background here. Exactly. Um, and there was a lot of stuff in there, because for me, certainly I knew that people who were classified as disabled had been discriminated against and are still discriminated against, but um, I knew mostly you know, the stuff from the last 40 years, you know, I knew right. ADA and, you know, mm -hmm. I knew about like, you know, parking lots and, you know, those, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew vaguely about the violence and so forth. But again, the timelining sort of really helps connecting it all together because I'd never really thought about the connection between slavery and disability. Just mm. didn't, just that I didn't think about it. I mean, they were, I'm like, these are both horrible types of discrimination, but I never right. put them together. Exactly, um, yeah. And the chapter in there where it's making clear that they brought over only slaves that weren't disabled, and then they, by enslaving them, disabled them, <laughs> and, and then and then discarded them. Correct. Uh, uh, and then, you know, and then it makes you wonder, like, okay, so who are the people who survived long enough to have children in the United States? And like, what, what, you know, who, who was left and Correct. what was passed on for what had those people experienced, you know, inherited trauma and all those things. And like, to, to, if you, it, like the enormity of, 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 of slavery is almost just impossible to like, like truly sit with, you know? Right. And if you, really do sit with it for more than just a few seconds it's just like it's both horrible and it's also like sometimes when I'm just like I'm gonna give up I'm just like you know what you know <laughs> that's a lot for me right now thanks that's a lot okay this has yeah. been fun <laughs> uh yeah. but it also means that like you know I I when when I, when I feel despair sometimes I also remember like my ancestors they kept going so I'm gonna keep I'm just gonna keep going um, oh yeah they did but you know they would have gone home if they could have yeah so they would have sat down if they could have that's true but but the fact that they didn't have the choice is why i feel like i i, I feel like i owe them a lot so um, we do but they didn't mean for you to put that grind on yeah mm -mm. Mm -mm. right i mean I believe our ancestors were not fools and they would not have worked themselves to death or worked themselves into disability they managed it so many years before that, yeah. right? And so we we have, you know, we have so much. Do you know Jack, Dr. Joy DeGray yeah. and post-traumatic slave syndrome? So we have so much uh, that we have um, not examined about what we have been enculturated and and taught to believe about ourselves and how we how African Americans in the country uh, should be should i mean and outside of respectability politics outside of a, like hotepery outside of all of that that just the way that we buy into capitalism the way that we buy into middle classness the way we try and protect ourselves like it's all influenced by that initial wound and it's hard it's hard to manage and i'm not sure i i certainly have not figured out how to manage outside think, of that well i think because like the one the article you had posted in the times um mm -hmm. No, sorry, the article from the Times that you had posted on the website. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, that is about the, I guess he's a, a lawyer, right? And his family who's saying that I thought that if my kids um, had, you know, I, th I thought I could basically earn my way out of racism. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And that message wasn't transmitted to me explicitly. Like uh, You went to exclusive schools, my dog. 
Right. So I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm saying I wasn't given that literal sentence. Yes. But it was still the message, right? Uh-huh. Like you know, and that, that's what it took me a long time to realize more recently is that that's what what the attempt was because the, the implication was if I had just gone to the school in the area, like mm-hmm. that, I would have been in more danger from this and that, uh, and therefore by going to these following this other path, mm-hmm. I would you know, be on my way to, I don't know, Wall Street or something like that. And what I realized when I was about 22 and I was finishing college, or 21, whatever, um, I was graduating and I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. And I was debating what, what sort of things, you know, people, you know, classmates doing this, something doing this, and everybody was going to be like an eye banker at the school I went to. And I said, I can't, I can't do um the problem is I didn't have another plan so 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 then I mean you know I ended up and then I ended up teaching English which is how I started doing all the things I ended up doing I ended up teaching which is another thing because of the whole like the way that you get to teach English if you just have an American passport but so I like felt felt looking back I feel conflicted about the fact that I got a job based on my passport more than having any skill, which is why I did go back to school afterwards to actually feel mm. like I knew what I was doing. But I didn't need the skill to get the job, mm-hmm. um, which is why I've sort of been sort of from the inside taking pieces mm-hmm. of the English language teaching industry <laughs> apart in my writing. But um, I'm not sure how much they appreciate it. Uh, well, that, that means that system will be resistant because, you know, anti-blackness is worldwide. Right. So, and I'm sure you've, you've read some of the other people who are doing that work and, and the move for what is it um native speakers only being yeah, efl yeah. elt teachers yeah native speakers yeah yeah and uh i mean i i have where where did you teach i in south korea how did that go i i really i enjoyed my time but you know the it's like uh there's certainly anti-black racism there but it's really exactly different it is (laughs) you know because it's like it's like it doesn't really like like english as a language you you can tell they're sort of getting it externally you know Mm -hmm. they're sort of repeating what they've learned Mm -hmm. and they're spinning it at me and first of all it didn't happen that often Mm -hmm. they were the, the the racism there was much more like I don't know any black humans, so right. you must be an athlete kind of thing. Sure, sure. Right? Sure. And mostly that was yeah. funny. So, yeah. so like, I wasn't really yeah. upset by it. I never felt like I was in danger. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, which, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it was, you know, I was very exoticized, but I mm-hmm. never felt that I was a target. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Which is very different from here, you know? It is. Um, it is. I was, I'm not always exoticized here, obviously. People have seen mm-hmm. Black people before here. But, you know, I don't always feel safe. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, and, but, you know, I wanted to come home, so I came home. Uh, okay. So the thing about disability, and, and, you know, you mentioned disability history and some of the, the, the laws that are brought up, especially in the 19th century, which is where you start to see a lot of those laws, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the quote-unquote ugly laws, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. we don't want to see you. So mm-hmm. it's illegal for you to just, it's illegal for you to be. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, and, and unless you were in a war. But, because yep. um, that's, right, we, you know, unless you were in service of the empire, yep. um, then you, you, we, don't, we don't need you, we don't, we don't need to see any of that. Although mm-hmm. I did find it interesting that they told, that the book has so many stories about how in the colonial times, there were all these, clearly disabled or people classified as disabled people and they didn't know what to do with them so they were just teachers but which i always think that happened <laughs> because like, that's all they could possibly be right <laughs> right yeah. they just they're like he couldn't really feed himself but we put him in this room and he taught the kids um <laughs> it's just it's like six stories like that and I'm yeah like, oh, i'm not sure what that says about what you think about the kids but um so, well, I mean, in colonial times, you're having to feed yourself, right? And so the priorities had shifted. It, it, it's, a, it's a leisure activity to be really concerned about education. Right. So, yeah, interesting. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, about, about now with all of this, right? I'm thinking about, so, like, I can't even, like, there's so much nonsense with the way it was handled that can be its own thing. But in terms of the actual, like, pathogen you know moving around in the first place 
Like there's mm. many, many, many governmental mishaps, but I don't even want to talk about that right now. Mm. <laughs> like that's mm. it's a whole thing. And frankly, right. you know, I beat that to, to death. So, um, but what I'm mostly really concerned about, like not, I mean, there's many things I'm concerned about, but mm. one of one of the things I'm deeply concerned about is there will, no matter what, even if 100% of people are infected, the initial wave will crest at some point. It'll crest at different times and different places, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, you know, that's just how it was, you know, it's just how it's going to be. It's just math, right? And at first, because of how infectious it is, it could infect everybody or anyone, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to get very sick, but you know, I could get, you get what it would. Um, sure. However, whenever that begins to subside, at that point, I think, and it hasn't quite happened yet because it's, so, it's just numbers all over the place, but you're going to see a lot more people who are classified as undesirable being sure. people who are saddled with it, you know? Um, like I said, anybody could get it, but after a time, certain people will become more protected, you know, and then it's going to be a, a disease of the people who could not be protected. And then sure. it's going to be like, uh, you know, they're going to blame a certain group, but they're all trying to blame the Chinese, obviously. But like, <laughs> within the country, you're going to see different groups. Oh, that's a group that has a high rate of corona. You better stay away from that area, right? Or, right, or right. stay away from those people. Or, or, you know, the same way that the Chinese in, in San Francisco, there was like a smallpox outbreak and they were all mm-hmm. blamed for it. And so mm-hmm. it led to the Chinese Exclusion Act, right? So, you right. know, he's already doing that stuff. I'm just right. wondering who the people will be that uh, get saddled with the blame for it within the country once, you know, I don't want to say it, but like once the dust settles a little bit more because sure. it's going to happen and, we, you know, we'll see who is is given the anchor. Um, well, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> certainly Chinese Americans, Asian Americans, because of the rhetoric around that from Washington. I mean, there, that's, that will probably get worse before it gets better. Um, and then if we move back into sort of business as usual, the transmitters will be the people who do service work. Mm-hmm. So it will be the poor. Um, it will be people in restaurants. It will be people in like fast food places. It'll be, it will be servers, people who are in contact with lots of individuals, lots of money, cash money or cards. Um, and I don't know that that will be a racial classification. Uh, in some places, obviously it will, but it will be, it will be people who are working poor. Um, and that, that those are the people who, will be the vectors, I think, but remember, I teach English, um, and those are the people who will get the blame for being the vectors, because they're the ones who, um, who won't be able to uh, care for themselves, or be cared for, who won't have uh, the sick dates. I mean, it's the same thing we've been saying, this is why everybody is shut down, so um, we have to stop everyone, because some people just simply can't afford to be stopped, and then, um, you know, we're going to create a a toothless uh, stimulus package for those who really uh, can't afford to be off work. But so they will send $1,200 in four months, one time, and that's going to solve all of the problems. Sure. $1,200 in four months to the addresses that they were evicted from two months prior. So, (laughs) right. And I mean, I know many, many people have been talking about um, the burden on disabled people during this time um, and people who need carers and um, the pre-existing conditions and, and not to be mm, um, morbid, but I mean, coronavirus does, this particular novel coronavirus does um, bring light to the idea that more of us may be compromised than we actually know. Um, People walking around with pre-existing conditions that they're not aware of or that haven't presented themselves yet. It's not a good thing, um, but it is taking many, many masks off. Um, I don't know what it will look like when it's over, if it's over. (laughs) 
You said masks, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because people say that um, certain people are more vulnerable, and that's certainly the case. It's just that you don't know that you're not that person. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you know, if you are that person, like, you know, if you're older, or if you have, you know, immune, you know, like, you, you, if you've been to the doctor, and these, these things have happened, like, you know, if right. oh, I'm in a category, I need to take extra precaution, right? Right. Um, but you don't know that you're not in the category. Exactly. You know, exactly. you, these people, you know, there was that, that principal from Brooklyn just died. Yes. Um, you know, and like, people are like, oh, well, this young people, this is, it's like, probably there was something going on, but you don't know that that isn't happening. You know, right. like right. They, they, someone could have an underlying respiratory issue or a heart issue. And it's just never just, you know, doesn't just because you have an issue doesn't mean anything's going to happen to you from day to day, but then this interacts with it. Exactly. You don't know what's going to happen. So all the more reason that like when I was walking around two weeks ago by myself with my dog, um, <laughs> Look, well, like they can't stop me with my dog. I mean, what am I no. Um, but then I saw these people together. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know? Um, but I, I Maybe they're all quarantined together. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Um, this, is right <laughs> this is right before they shut down a restaurant. And then in a the restaurant, mm -hmm. they can't yeah. do it anymore. Um, yeah. And since then, I pretty much haven't, like, because I still walk around with my dog. And since mm -hmm. then, I pretty much, you know, don't see any more than two or three people together. And if the, I don't know if people live together or don't. So if they live together, what am I going to say, right? Um, right. So people, at least where I am, and what's weird about it is like, I'm really close to a lot of the really bad stuff, but right in my neighborhood, I can't see anything and everything mm -hmm. looks the same. And it's kind of weird mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. like I live next to outdoor subways, the subways are running to take the people to the hospital. I mean like the workers, right? And so they're just empty trains, <laughs> but they're running. Yikes. Uh, Yikes. But like, it's just a few people on them, like the service work, the people who have to go to work, it's it's sure. you can't shut off the subways completely, right? And I live right next to them. So I see all day and all night, the subways are still running. And then if, if anyone is taking a taxi, and there's still a few people who might need one, I live next, right. to, I live next to a bridge. So right. like, you can <laughs> see them just, driving around. It just, yeah. just looks normal. It, it just looks like a Sunday, basically. Every yeah. Day. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like things are, because there's like office buildings and, and like nobody's there, but like just looks like a Sunday. Interesting. Um, at the, but the actual Department of Health building is over there. So there's people in that building. Like right. At, at headquarters. So it's weird, you know. It is. Like, if I, I, I hear sirens all the time, but honestly, that's not that unusual in New York. So like, you, right. you don't know what's going, it could be a fire. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know what it is because I know what's happening. But if I'm just listening to amb ambient noise, it sounds the same. And it's well, weird, you know. And the trick is, um, life has stopped for so many of us, but there are lots of things still happening. Um, you know, people are still having regular old heart attacks. People are still having falls. People are still having, you know. So, yeah, we know what it is, but it's also on top of, whatever it also was before that so yeah it's very weird it's very i can't imagine being in a big city like new york i think that would be very strange here i definitely live way out in the country and so there it's it's quiet but it's always quiet so i don't know we're we're, we're well tucked in so we're good yeah i mean um because i can from my window, I can see one of the main hospitals where it's all going on, but the hospital doesn't, you can't really see into the hospital from here. Right. It's a couple of miles away, so it just looks like a building. Right. Um, not like the hospital's on fire or anything, so it just looks like a building. Right. Um, and so it's more like, because I'm reading stories about it, and I need to stop. Exactly. Yes. Well, yes. It, I, I get, like, I get an alert on my, when I, sometimes the, the alert is, like, helpful, because, like, a few weeks ago, I got sort of addicted to the alerts because they were like changing regulations. Until they put yes. it all inside, I was waiting for that to happen. And yes. then when they did, I was like, all right, that's that. Or, you know, like restaurants closed, that's that. Closed, that's that. Schools closed, that's that. Now we're just in here. Now I don't really care. I don't want to see any of that. Like, stop it, stop it. Just stop. Yeah, it. you have to turn that stuff off. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need the death, death number. Like, I don't, it's just, I don't need. To see it's it. a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And um, because, and what I'm curious about education wise is like, there's going to be, 
this is something that is going to reverberate for a very long time. Like yes. the actual waves of it, you know, like it's not going to be 30 years, but like at some point the, the initial stuff will change into something else. But like, this is going to be an entire, maybe genre is the wrong word, but an entire subject matter for, for writing for, mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I mean, I've been writing about it, doing these podcasts and all that. But like, for you know, for students, you know, mm-hmm. talking about their experience, talking about what happened, and you know, analyzing the many mistakes that were made, you know, um, analyzing what's different, you know, all these students who are not in school or they're not physically in school, people are. There's going to be a lot of research papers about what their different outcomes are. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm. And I'm. I'm curious. To, it's going to take a few years, right? So I'm mm-hmm. curious to read all of that stuff because um, I wonder, because one of the things that I wrote about the other day and that I've been thinking about is like so many things have been proven. Like we know, me and you, we know. Many of us <laughs> know. But, but like people don't want to believe because that is, like the, the make-believe is a big part of the United States, right? Exactly. <laughs> right yep. but, but like the make-believe, like they can't, like we, we have now seen, like everyone else has finally seen behind the curtain. Like we know the, 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 the wizard is just a guy. Just yep. a guy, or it's a few guys. Um, and it's, I feel like it's, there's gonna be two competing ideas. Whatever the nonsense saying he wants us to go back by Easter, like the states don't have to listen to him, so whatever. But like the, um, there's going to be a group of people who are just so stressed and I genuinely understand that, that they just want things to be how they were. Just like, please just go back. And like, although I disagree with it, I can understand that impulse. Even if the, the bad, you know, before was very bad, just, just like, I understand how before was. Sure. <laughs> like, I know how to operate within that paradigm. So like, even though I disagree with it and want to push for it to be better, like, I'm not, I, I, like, people being traumatized by this, like, I don't want to, you know, like, it's just, just, like, I get it, I get it. If I, sure. you know, yeah. if, if I'm in my house for, like, seven months, I might be like, please, just, just let me. <laughs> just whatever, just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, just let me out. But um, there's, I think we need to hold space for all of the things we're seeing that, they were able to change at the drop of a hat when it was oh of course apparent that they that mostly because it was apparent that they themselves could be sick too but like um because it's really right you know it's like I, there's not there's nothing we do about it okay fine um <laughs> right uh, and you know there's like i'm trying to document not literally but you know in some ways have conversations that's why i'm doing all these things um about all of the things that they pretended they couldn't do but now they could do immediately and whenever they wanted and they just made up some money um but not to actually help people they made up money to help companies but <laughs> because companies will help people yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. airline companies and they're trying to help the cruise ship industry it's i'm just like you could just but like maybe they could just you could just let them like they'll just be just let them go do it like yeah um uh so i think that there's really but i don't know because like i don't want you know part of me is worried that they'll you know they'll go full full like gilead after this you know Mm -hmm. like handmaid's tale because that's what happens in the handmaid's tale right there was some sort of pandemic well that's why nobody can have a kid right that's the point of the book right right? yeah nobody can have a kid because there's an illness um and so they decide to do all that stuff however Everything coming out in the books written in the eighties, right? But everything that uh, happens in that book suggests that that government was slightly more competent than this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, like, as much as they think that they would like that, like, they, they really like. This would be so easy for them to do something like that if they could get mm-hmm. out of their own way. Because I, I mean, maybe I hope I'm, I, I, I'm glad he's not listening. But like, how easy if they weren't like they are, would it be for them to just come up with a bunch of money, pay people to be home for several months, 
and then things aren't as bad as they otherwise would have been, economy in their fictional way the economy is measured recovers mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. now they're swept into endless power because they saved everybody like it wouldn't actually like many people would still die but not as many as are going to die because they're being dumb and like look everyone loves them and it's great and it's just like you know like it, it would be so easy like it's so simple like why can't they just do that it's because he doesn't have the attention span that's really right. what it is. Like the right. article is saying, like he doesn't have the attention span to deal with a crisis that's several months long. Right. He doesn't want to keep right. talking about it. He's going on TV literally because Andrew Cuomo is going on TV and he doesn't want to be shown up. That's the only exactly. reason he's on TV every night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it's wildly unfortunate. And and the powers that that he's the people that are working behind the scenes with him are probably smart enough to pull that off. Right. But he is not the individual that they need him to be in order to uh, have that face on. They really, I, I don't know why, I don't know why they chose him. Yeah. But um, yeah, it would be, I mean, and one of the things that people are talking about right now is the, the ability of us as a, as a nation, right? The dominant culture part of this nation to move everything online, to, you know, give people money, to, uh, you know, say, yeah, we're going to do it this way, or yeah, we're going to fix this thing for this moment. And so it's wonderful that people are in the mood of like, yes, so we can do these accommodations for people who are disabled, or we can um, make it easier for students to access education, or we can um, make it easier for people to have paid time off or to have sick leave or, um, and there's, there's that flip side. I know that probably a lot of grad students and professors are experiencing, um, I definitely do not want my college to insist that I teach 14 classes online because it's online. You don't have to be there. So you've got all day. So you could do this. It's an, it's a stopgap for my students who weren't taking online classes. Um, it is not the same class that my online students signed up to take. Do you know what I mean? They're just not prepared. And there's the digital divide and there's the access divide and there's the rural poverty and there's the urban poverty. And there's so many underlying things that we haven't done anything about. Like they have not gone into um, the cities that we're near and, and fixed access for for students to go online so like students who were taking classes three weeks ago are having to drop them because they don't have any way to do the class they literally have no computer no no right um so yeah i would love for it to be a best case scenario and everything is rosy and and gently socialist and you know we are all kind and life is good and i also understand that it could turn exactly as you're saying into this really horrible Gilead sort of thing. And so many people are not okay right now, right? They're losing their homes because they can't pay rent. They're, they've lost jobs. They've got huge unemployment. They've got all kinds of things going on. So yeah, fix it. But he's not the guy to do it. He's no. really not the guy. <laughs> he's yeah, really uh, not the guy. The, um, the thing I think about a lot is because even within The Handmaid's Tale, like that whole Gilead thing is also temporary because yeah. the, book, the book is written from the perspective of after that whole thing ended. Um, mm -hmm. And so like the question would be, because even if they tried that in their ham-fisted ham way, at some point it would end, but the question is how many of us would be around when it did end. Um, and then there's also like, you know, I, I do think one thing that they're not prepared for as far as people fighting to to change things is that there's not a whole lot we can all do because we're all stuck in our apartments and houses. <laughs> but one thing that's different, because they keep comparing this to it's a war and we need to fight, you know, because that's the only thing they can do. But uh, the difference between this and an action, like a war, is that we're all in our places <laughs> like we're all inside thinking so right. like 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 they have i'm not saying everyone's having it easy but like one thing that people do who, who are not at physical work right now and who have not necessarily lost all of their income there's still millions of people who are like in their homes right thinking. Mm -hmm. and they have given us a lot of time to think and consider what to do 
and, and talk and, to each other and, and write about it. And, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like there is going to be, like I say, there's going to be a whole lot of just creation that's going to happen here in a way that I don't think they are prepared for. Like, I'm not saying we're going to flip a switch and things are going to be how we want them to be. But I do think that there's, I, maybe I'm just a Pollyanna, but I'm just saying, like, um, I think the amount of things that are going to be coming out of this, it's not necessarily going to fix everything, but I think there will be more there than have been in analogous situations in the past, if there even have been analogous situations in the past. Because when anything like this happened before, we weren't all connected to each other. So. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, the same thing, I agree with you, and it will, it, it will be very different, and who knows how, how it will be. But it, when I think about, like, how I might, how am I going to teach this, you know, you got to teach it. Um, but thinking about how uh, other people have had this, this imposition different ways, shelter-in-place impositions, Syria, shelter-in-place impositions, Yemen, um, different ways where they have had to let their lives be upset by, you know, government bungling in so many different ways. We are, uh, I mean, it's so hard in the U.S. because the mythologies are strong. We're, we're safe. We're the best. We've never had to have, you know, serious fighting in our modern experience we've never had you know a war on our our soil or anything like that we've never had to function like so many other countries in the world have had to function and so it will be really interesting and a really interesting connection can be made between other people who might have to live under these conditions for the long term or have done for such a long time um, because of their government's restrictions or because of wars or because of any number of things um, and how the United States really chooses to look at itself. Let me rephrase that. How people in the dominant culture in the United States choose to look at the mythologies that we've created around what it means to be American versus what it means to be some other human on the planet. Um, it will be interesting to see what we can do with that and to see what students are able to do with that. I, I, I think about um, the difference between this and like a 9-11, because I mean, I was here for that too, right? Were you and, really? Wow. Okay, yeah. well, I grew up here, so. Mm. Uh, and uh, there, I think there's a lot of differences. One of the main differences is that I obviously was very fast. Like, right, and out of nowhere, like, yeah. Yeah, just like from like eight, to 10 was all of the things um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's you know that was, it was just like I got to school and it happened and then we were at school and then it was like then then we it was lots to figure out but it was just like what um, and I think that some people compare this to a 9-11 because a lot of the stuff is happening here um, and they say that we went kind of off we went even farther off the deep end as a country after that right you know just trying to figure out what's going on but one of the main differences is, again, the speed of it, because this is happening very, I mean, slowly. I mean, it's not slow if you're one of the sick people, but like still, we're all just sort of watching things happen. Right. Um, and there, that is a very, it's a very different experience. I'm just saying, speaking for myself, like this is very different for me than that. Not only am I a lot older and my family and all that, but like- right. Um, it's just like, there's so much information. Mm -hmm. uh, and back then, it was a lot easier to believe whatever they were saying. Uh, you know, because yesterday, or maybe Monday, I don't know, um, the news came on and said, uh, there's a ground stop at JFK and LaGoria. Like they were saying that the planes weren't landing. And they were saying, that it was related to coronavirus, right? Which would be surprising. Turns out it's not true. They did have a delay. It was a signal problem. It lasted about an hour, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> um, I, I can see planes landing at JFK and LaGuardia from my window. So I'm just right. like, there's a plane over there. Um, and then it turns out like one air traffic controller had uh, been diagnosed 
but he hadn't been there in several days and they had cleaned everything and nobody was sick and they, you know, whatever, whatever, like it was actually fine. Um, right. <laughs> so right. it was sort of like, uh, you know, but if I, I just remember hearing just random things in, in right. September of 2001 and I, what was I going to say that that's not true because when I going to pull out my smartphone in 2001? Yeah. Right. No, uh-uh. no. Um, so now that doesn't mean that there's no disinformation going on, but, but, um, and of course the corners of the internet in which I sit are, <laughs> it's just like, you know, Twitter, Facebook are different, right? I have people I've sought out, really sought out on Twitter. I have some friends right. from mm-hmm. my life. My wife is on there and all that, but like, uh, Facebook is people that like 99% of them I know in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And Twitter is people I'm mostly connecting on based on, I, I, ideas and so forth and exactly right so when i wade into the facebook (laughs) i see what people are saying and i'm just like oh (laughs) like not not my friends it's usually like their like like my friend will post something and then one of their friends will say something in the comments and i'm just like (sighs) yes yes and i'm just like and these are not like trumpkin people like you know it's like people but there really is and i don't know like this is this is what disturbs me because like the trump the trumpkin people is it's a problem but like i don't know i don't know what to do about that but like it's the people who are in the middle and they still and again the white moderate and they're all white but you know what i'm saying um Uh uh we're saying things like stuff that like we need to restart the economy i'm like what is one thing if they personally were saying i'm out of work and i need to go back to work and i feel like stressed about it but that's not what these people are saying Exactly. That's not who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just saying these people are working from home, so mm-hmm. they're fine. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's not stressful, but mm-hmm. but they're literally just parroting these lines. They're just like, we need uh-huh. to restart the economy. It's going to be too damaging to the economy. Like, what do you care? <laughs> it's not your friend. Like, the economy yeah. is not your friend. Um, and <laughs> I'm just like, why? Are, why? Why are what? What is this? Why are you? What is? Why are you licking the boots like? Like what, what happened that like you have just like heard at some point that a strong economy is good and therefore when the economy is, is struggling, it is bad. And it's like, but, and then this, like, this is, this is, I'm talking about a particular two or three people. Right. And just like keeps posting statistics about how it's, it's like the same as the flu. And I'm just like, but it's, it's not. And I don't, it's just like, and it's and I just I can't I don't know what to say. So that's that nonsense is what worries me because there's a lot I'm saying the Trumpkins are one thing and like they're just they just like I can't but they're pretty easy to spot. Like they don't they don't tend to be quiet about their stuff. So but the people who are just sort of like yeah we just need to restart the economy just believing that they're not uh-huh. actively into that stuff but they're just fully fully in belief of the American myth. Like, right. how do you disabuse, not the people who are literally hugging the flag like the president, but right. like the people who just, yeah, just say, I, just, I just say the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, you know, um, like without right. like thinking, without the critical, it's like your students without the critical thinking. It's like, right. what do you do? And these are adults, 40-year-olds, you know, right. I don't right. know what to do about those people. Right. Um, because that's, that's, you know, people who say things like, I don't like to talk about all that social justice stuff. I just like kitchen table issues. And I'm just like, right. <laughs> right. It's just like, maybe it's not your kitchen table, but it's someone's kitchen table. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, that's the empathy piece, right? That's the understanding that in a parallel timeline, there is someone right now on the other side of town who's living a very different experience than you are right this second. Um, and getting people to really like grab onto that idea that, yeah, your reality is real. And so is someone else's reality. And it is vastly different than the one you're living right now. Um, How do we get people who are parroting the lines to choose differently? Um, I mean, ask why, right? Ask the question why, because at some point it's going to boil down to something that is either self-serving or something that is um, mythological, right? Well, my retirement fund is in the tank. Okay, all right. You want people 
who are the most vulnerable, who have the least health care, who have the least access to safe jobs and safe living situations to go back to work while you could still work from home because your retirement account is tanking? I mean, and somebody might say, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly why. I'd rather and they that, say it, though. I mean, I'd right? rather, at least I can, like, all right, well, you know. And then you know where they are. Yeah. yeah I'm like, so, okay. You know, that's the same. Why? I'm saying that's the way I feel about Trump kids. I'm just like, I know where you stand. I don't exactly. need to go over there, but I, I see exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, people. It's so disingenuous. I, you know? Yes, I think a lot of people don't really listen to themselves as much as they think they do. You know, they can say, "Yeah, we need to restart the economy," or "Yeah, we need to," or "This is all overblown," or "It's just like um, the flu," or any number. I mean, I don't want to talk about social justice, right? Okay, but that's my lived experience. So I am taking a, a second master's right now. I'm taking an MSW. And um, in my class says I am constantly uh, in the position because it's what I do and I can't stand it. So those two things, it is what I do and I also can't stand it, of saying, okay, well, this data about hospital births, say, in 1950, uh, saying that 88% of uh, women in America had hospital births, is that disaggregated? And, you know, having people say, what do you mean? It's a national stat. I'm like, mm, okay. But hospitals in 1950 were still segregated. And I'm relatively positive that there were not a huge amount of really poor people in those hospitals because insurance wasn't what it is today. And having that be revolutionary, that should not be revolutionary. It should be a reflex to be able to think about, okay, I understand that this is a lived experience that is valid, but there are also many other lived experiences that are valid. And it's not anybody's job to know all things. Like you can't do that. But to be aware and open that there is someone who's doing it completely differently than I am doing it right now. I mean, one of the things that I tell my students all the time is, um, you know, when you think about things that you, I don't know, quote unquote, should know, but don't, is your home accessible? Is your apartment building accessible? I mean, our home is not accessible. And have you been into a house that is accessible, an apartment that is accessible recently? And if you have a walk-up, you know, certainly not accessible. And thinking about just because no one in your family is in a situation where they might be a wheelchair user or some other mobility device doesn't mean that that individual does not exist. And how is it that every house that you've ever been in for any vacation, for any visit, for any holiday is most probably not accessible? So if in fact you were to partner up with someone who is a wheelchair user or have a child who is a wheelchair user, your family, your home, if you were to get into an accident the next day, you would be out of your own home. You would not be able to access your own home. And so the same thing is true with internet access. The same thing is true with money. The same thing is true with, with uh, you know, the ability to work from home, right? I can teach from home and, and, and people can do different things from home. But if I did not have a computer-based job, right, if I had to make a thing, I couldn't do that at my house. Um, and just to understand that there are parallel lives like right now, right beside you, not as a thing of the past, not as a thing over there. Um, and that all of our ideas and all of our assumptions and all of our, this is how it should be affects those people just as much as, as it affects me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You mentioned um, accessible living spaces and you know asking people to ask themselves you know exactly what if, what if um your partner or what if your child right or what if yourself and since i should sort of to sort of put a button on the whole conversation one of the things that is unique about disability as a as a uh, a group is that anyone could become right you know, part of this group tomorrow today yeah right? and uh could be could be a short term you know but but like you, you can certainly you know you could be i have a friend who you know got in a car and she only has one leg so it's like that's you know and now she's part of the part of the group and um she became much more of an advocate that she just wasn't the type of person who who spent a lot of time thinking about that stuff and right and then it was her um mm -hmm. And I admire a lot of the work she's done since then, and I don't blame her for not. It's just 
who, who you know, who, unless you've really been told to think about it, who thinks about exactly. It. And one of the things, so see, I'm, this is a good segue here. One of the things that is really showing people about this illness is that it could be you, right? It could be any of you. You, it, you know, they say, oh, well, it's the older people. And it's, it's like, but it could be you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't know that you don't have something that would, in a different time and place, have classified you as a disability. Right. You, know, you don't know. Like, you, you can be somewhat competent, but you don't know. Right. And the reason that I think this has shaken so many things is because you don't know. They can right. say whatever they want, but it's like you really don't actually know. No. And um, I think to even tie it to another thing we were talking about, some of those people who are pushing for things to just change, they're, 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 I think a lot of them are really scared about yeah. the fact that it could be them too. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and, and if they if they downplay it and they just like yeah you know we we'll just go back there he's just like but but it, it could be them too and the thing that is 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 sad there's a lot of sad things is that I don't want them to go through it no they don't, don't need I don't need I don't I don't want revenge on them I just want them to stop but, but like you know like there's no reason why they couldn't be the next person who's 38 and something and turns out they have a weakness in sure. their lungs and, sure. and now they're another person who i'm reading sure. about in the paper so like uh i think for all these people's bluster there is just a considerable amount of fear and if yes. they could access that fear in a in a in a in a sort of clear way yeah mm-hmm. instead of just running away from it then i think we would all be much better off right in a really contemplative way and i mean that is the power in language right to be able to really ask yourself a very simple question well what if you were a service worker instead of someone who could still work at home would you be willing to go back into a mcdonald's drive the window and touch you know 40, 400, 4,000 pieces of paper every day that other people have touched and you don't know where they are. Would you be willing to do that? Then why are you eager for another person to do it? Um, and to let that be not a, a, a challenge to their morality, but just to look at a parallel timeline. Think about what it might be for someone else. All right. Well, I think it's a good place to, to tie it up. Um, thanks a lot for joining me, Shay. Uh, thanks for having me. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun. As it was a good conversation. I'm, I'm going to see how long I can keep this up. I really am trying to put one of these out each week. So um, this will be out in a couple of weeks. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed having you on because I think we really got some interesting stuff. Good. Thank you. And good luck with your baby. Enjoy walking your dogs. Stay safe. Yes, you stay well. I think you're in, in the woods over there, probably. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs>